What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Talking Halos. I'm your host today, Jared Timms, and we have a fun, fun, fun show planned for you here. I just wanted to introduce this show here before we really get on to the interview that I have. And say it now, the interview is going to be with Taylor Blake Ward, who is an Angels writer. Everybody who's on social media knows him. He does a lot of minor league stuff, does some major league stuff as well, has his own website that he's working out of now. But I bring Taylor on to talk about the international signing period and what the Angels, you know, really kind of did. So just want to kind of introduce that to you guys now and give you the list of guys that the Angels signed, which go as followed. The biggest name that the Angels signed this international period as of right now was shortstop Denzer Guzman. They signed him for $2 million. And the other list of guys, there were seven of them, was catcher Iver Betancourt, right-handed pitcher Darlin Francia, another right-handed pitcher in Fernando, I'm going to botch this name so bad, and I Taylor even told me this before the interview, but I'm going to botch it really bad here. It's Fernando Guinar, I believe is how it's pronounced. Of course, shortstop Denzer Guzman, who I mentioned before. Another catcher in Edwin Hildago out of Panama. There's another shortstop in Kelver Lopez. And finally, a left-handed pitcher in Luis Valorier, I believe is how you say it. A lot of interesting, fun names there. 16, 17, I believe. Maybe one 18-year-old in there from, looks like two from the Dominican Republic, one from Venezuela, or actually four from Venezuela, and of course, Edwin Hidalgo from Panama. But first, before we get to the whole story here, the whole interview with Taylor Blake Ward, I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast and all the support you've given us on all social media aspects. And again, keep a lookout for the website that we'll be having going down. But yeah, I just want to say thank you for that. If you like what we have going on, please, please, please share it with a friend. That's how you know we spread by word of mouth, and we really do appreciate it. Tell a friend if you like what we have going on here as well. And if you like it that much, please give us a review on wherever you listen. If you'd like to come on the show and talk a little bit on our Talking Fans segment, you can follow us or even message us myself at Jared underscore Tims on Twitter. You can message Brock at B-D-R-O-X on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Shoot us an email as well at TalkingHalos at gmail.com. You can follow us on every social media account if you just look up our name, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as of right now. And of course, guys, keep a lookout for our new website. And of course, subscribe to this podcast so you can get updates of when another podcast drops. So guys, without further ado, actually, first we have to pay the bills before that. So give us a second to do that, and then we'll get on to the interview with Taylor Blake Ward. What's going on, everybody? I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of this program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as other hosting sites would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, 
Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sporting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. And now, back to Talking Halos. All right, guys, I am here with the world-famous, yes, world-famous Taylor Blake Ward. Taylor, thanks for joining us. How are you doing tonight? What world are you talking about, man? <laughs> Maybe in outer space or something. Hey, thanks for having me on, buddy. Appreciate it. I'm super excited. I know we've been trying to get together for a little while now for, like, the draft. That happened earlier this year, and, you know, it didn't really work. But now we're able to talk a little bit of international signing, and I'm super excited to do that because I have no idea about, you know, international guys at all. And, I mean, it's very difficult, but I'm, I'm excited to talk about this a little bit with you on Talking Halos. So first little bit of a question for you. I guess I'll kind of you know, throw this one out there. What does the international process really kind of look like? You know, it's tricky. Um, it's something that I had to read up on when I was kind of going through these things. And you start with these kids when they're 13, 14 years old, and, and you get verbal agreements on contracts then. Um, so the scouting side of things – really starts when these kids are about 14, 15 years old. And you can only imagine, you know, I mean, there's companies, uh, domestic companies in the United States, like Perfect Game and uh, Baseball Prospectus and others that will sometimes tap into these classes. Uh, you know, Prep Baseball Report, we'll talk about freshmen, incoming freshmen, incoming sophomores, things like this. But realistically, no one knows what a 15-year-old player is going to look like when he's 22, you know. And these are the things that these scouts have to do. Um, you know, every team is allotted a certain bonus pool. Uh, this year there was no uh, – you cannot trade part of your bonus pool. Uh, that was a rule set forth with Major League Baseball this year. But usually you can kind of maneuver a little bit of money, as we saw with Shohei Otani a few years ago, uh, the Angels trading um, for uh, J- uh, Josh Johnson, I believe it was, and they also traded Jacob Pearson to the Twins to get money to sign Shohei Otani. But this year that wasn't something that was possible. So the Angels had um, – I might be wrong in this, but it was a little under $5 million, if I'm remembering right, a little under $5 million to use for that international uh, cap space, our bonus pool that they have. And players can sign upwards of, you know, these few millions of dollars, but for the most part, a lot of the guys that you're going to sign, sign for $20,000, something like this. And what's really cool about this is the families, the players and their families, whether it be $10,000 or $5 million, this is a very important day for these kids that has been in the works for about two years, um, and it finally kind of comes to fruition, whether they're 16, 17, 18, whatever it is. It's really cool to see the kids get the benefit of this as well as their families because, um, you know, sadly, the Dominican Republic and Venezuela and countries such as these, uh, Curacao, Aruba, things like this, don't necessarily have the financial state that we do here in the United States. Yeah, you know, and I'm just kind of tapping into that side of things lately, just kind of on Instagram and such like that. You you kind of gain a perspective of how they play there and, like, what they have to work with. I mean, guys don't have – like, guys throwing bullpens right now aren't throwing on mounds. Like, they're throwing in, like, kind of piles of dirt in a sense. And the catchers, it's you know, it's it's totally different baseball down there, which is completely crazy. And, yeah, the one thing that kind of really stuck out to me – and I don't know if you saw this video or not – was when Denzer Guzman came back to, I would assume it's kind of his home field, and there was a line of guys that just kind of went there and congratulated him. Young, younger players, older players, 
it was just a super cool, surreal moment. Like, he got out of a car on the field and just gave everybody a high five and, like, lined up. It was, it was one of those things, like, you can tell it means so much to a lot of these guys. And the fact, like, you see all the pictures with the families around and signing it and their jerseys. And, like, a lot of guys, international guys now, you, you'll see their jerseys still that they got during that day hanging up on their wall. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you tapped into such a huge thing. It's such a big moment. I mean, nothing, not taking away from the MLB draft or anything, but the fact that this type of thing happens and they, those type of players get the opportunity to do this is such a cool moment, even if they don't, you know, necessarily get the opportunity to, to even leave the Dominican or Panama or Venezuela or somewhere like that. I mean, just the fact that to get the money has got to be huge for them, so... Uh, it's, it's really cool. Uh, and if I can share some stuff, you know, I'm working on a book, and you and I have talked about this um, a little. I, I'm not going to say off record because we're on record now, but, you know, I'm working on a book, and part of it is the international side of scouting. And it, part of it is, you know, the scout that I'm, I'm writing the book for talks about going to the, the far part, the far west of the Dominican Republic near the Haiti border and going to this small town where the whole town collectively got together for this workout for two players. It was a shortstop and a pitcher, and the shortstop had good movement left and right and everything, and he's going to his right, and he steps in cow crap, and he doesn't even have cleats on. He doesn't have shoes on. He steps in cow crap, slips, but he still makes the throw. And it's like, you know, these are the stories that you hear. That, that, that would never happen in the United States. It would never happen. Because you would find even a uh, – even if you had to go to a, a local park, that wouldn't happen. But it's like this pitcher. They had the whole townspeople lined up along the side of the pitching mound. And, you know, they're saying, ooh, ah, every time he throws the ball. The, guys, the kids throw like 80 miles per hour. But still, it, it's pretty astonishing how the people really surround themselves around this kind of baseball. And that's why, you know, I have such a bad obsession with Puerto Rican baseball players. And it's different in Puerto Rico than it is in the Dominican or Panama. But it just – that aspect of total grassroots, total grassroots baseball. Because you think, you know, um, when we think grassroots baseball here in the United States, we think of high school baseball and college baseball and things. And it's like, oh, you know, we went to a ballpark in minor league baseball and there was only 300 people there. Well, shoot, if you go to Dominican, there's 300 people there. That's the town collectively going to see one person. It's pretty cool. It's a really cool uh, environment. Yeah, I'm not even honestly going to even pretend like I understand, not that I don't understand, but that I get it. Like, it's, it's, a, it's completely different. It really is compared to what we have here in the United States, and I, I, I couldn't really even imagine it. And the only thing that I really have to compare to is going to the World Baseball Classic and that atmosphere, that vibe. I can only imagine what it's like, you know, just going to a simple high school game or something like that down there. I mean, it's got to be you – know, that's that's what they build around. That's what they have. You know, it's, it's baseball. So, you know, it's it's just a really cool thing to see, and this is a really – you know, it's good to see that this actually happened, especially after it getting pushed back and everything that's been happening. So I, I was I was excited to see it, and I, I, it's, it's, it's something that you can't even really comprehend. It's, it's, it's a great moment for a lot of the players and such. So I think you kind of tapped on my next question, and that kind of be the money aspect of this whole thing and how that kind of works. Is it a little bit kind of like the draft where you can, you know, you have the first 10 rounds to spend a lot of, a lot of money, uh, or do they? is it just they get five – the Angels had $5 million this year to spend on a certain amount of guys? Yeah, this year it was something, I think it was $4.8 million, something along those lines. And usually you're allowed to trade for a little bit of money. And you, what you'll do is you'll trade a um, a young prospect that has 
maybe non-major league tool, maybe two major league tools, something like that. You, you get $100,000, $200,000 extra for your bonus pool. But this year it was locked in. Um, so with that is you are spending, you know, you've had this agreement in terms for at least a year, regardless of the player is 17, 18, 16 years old, whatever it is. This player at 15 years old knew what he was going to sign for and knew who he was going to sign with for the most part. Um, the Angels did have a little bit of an interesting year because of the difference between Billy Epler and Perry Manassian coming in. Um, so the Angels did have to move. And, and we talked about this before you, we were recording. Is We're going to touch on that later. But the Angels actually do had, had two players they were going to sign that ended up signing elsewhere. Um, but, yeah, you kind of have to – this is a big thing is you have to look at your finances. It's the same as the draft. You have to look at your finances. But with the, uh, the Major League Baseball draft, you have these – uh, bonus slots, you know, as third round, the 57th, 78th pick, whatever it is, has a certain money attached to it as a recommendation. With the international side, there is no recommendation. You're just spending money the way that you are. One thing is if you sign a player for under 10000 uh, it's either 30000 or 10000 It's one or the other, and I'm sorry that I'm missing this, but that would not uh, go towards your bonus pool. Okay. So if you sign a player for... I want to say it's 10, it could be 30, but if you sign a player for under $10,000, that does not go towards your bonus pool. So you could sign, shoot, a million players for $10,000 and spend $10 million or $100 million or whatever and not have it contribute. But that's, you know, it's a very basic thing is um, you have X amount of money to sign however many players you want within that certain parameters. That clears up a lot of questions, I would assume, from fans because, like I said, a lot of people don't really understand the international signing process, and the Angels are, in a sense, relatively new to it. I think fans in general are – I mean, this didn't really happen until Billy Epler started coming in, and the rules change, I feel like, almost every year, and they've been trying to get better on a lot of this stuff too. So, yeah, you know, and just – I kind of just want to move right on to the Angels – the Angels signed, what was it, seven players so far. This They can continue to sign players up until July, is it now? Or uh, Up until the next period starts, okay. up until about a week. It's either a week or a month. And then, like you said, there's a lot of things that I'm still trying to figure out. And um, But it's either a week or a month before the new uh, international signing period starts, whether that be July 2nd or if it's pushed back again. Yeah, yeah, so... Seven players at the moment, I mean, that we know of. There could be more. There could be, you know, we we don't even know. The biggest two, of course, or the biggest one being Denzer Guzman, who signed for, I believe, what was $2 million from Denzer Guz, for Denzer Guzman. Do we really have a kind of a scouting report on him or anything crazy like that? I mean, I think I'm going to slot him into my top 30 list right away. I've seen kind of enough about him, but. Yeah, I mean, you, you're very high. You know, you and I have talked about him for – uh, six months or close to a year almost. Um, you, you seem really high on him. There was a report, and just going back to the, the seven-player thing, on average, I would say the Angels have signed somewhere between 10 to 20 players, you know, yearly through this international process, and that's pretty on par with most of uh, Major League Baseball. And I'm sorry, I've got to have to clear my throat really quick. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, Denzel Guzman, offense-oriented, uh, shortstop, likely going to move on shortstop. Just not that he's not the athlete that you kind of expect to see at shortstop, uh, especially nowadays with these guys. Um, even the guy like Elvis Andrews, you know, these undersized guys that are incredible athletes or these big guys that uh, are rangy. He doesn't have that range. He doesn't have the speed. 
Um, doesn't have the athleticism necessarily. But an offensive-oriented guy who has a chance to be an above-average hitter with maybe average power, which if that's what you get for $2 million, that's a fantastic investment. Um, but, yeah, he would have been at the top of the Angels charts. Um, whether or not he's one of the better international prospects this year, that's up for debate. I mean, um, a note that I made, you know, Jose Altuve signed for, I think, $10,000. I think Ronald Acuna Jr. signed for $30,000 or whatever, you know. Um, this year the Angels have not yet made, other than Denzer Guzman, did not sign anyone for over $300,000. And Denzel Guzman, just an offensive-oriented guy and young uh, for the class a little bit. I believe he's, I believe he is 17 at this point. Would have been 16 when he signed. If I'm, if I'm remembering right, and I could be wrong on that. Um, but you know, just another young kid that you expect to move to a corner, uh, whether that be third base or you could even play him uh, if he sticks up the middle, likely second base. But just a guy that, that you're expecting to put up uh, some nice offensive numbers. Yeah, I know. I mean, again, it's so difficult to figure out, you know, how these guys are going to mature because they are so young. I mean, they're still just, when you think about it as, you know, high school age, they're still sophomores, juniors, maybe seniors in high school that they're signing and they could still grow. And we just don't know. But I mean, was there anybody really else that kind of, out of these seven guys that kind of maybe stuck out to you a little bit that you might think may have a shot to maybe play at some level? You know, that's a tough question, man. Um, I know. This is something you have to ask a lot of questions about the international side, whether you're talking to international scouts or uh, international scouting directors, or if you're talking to Jesse Sanchez or Ben Badler or Kyler McDaniel, because realistically, if you're getting a report on someone, you want it to be from Ben Badler of Baseball America or Jesse Sanchez of MLB.com. You don't want it to be from Taylor Blake Ward or one of the beat writers because – guess where we're getting our information is Jesse or Ben, essentially. Um, there is one guy, you know, I, I did get to see video on Aver Betancourt, and what I saw was some bats of ball skills. He's a catcher that looks like a quiet receiver, had pop times around 2-2-1. Two, two, um, and Darlin Frankia, a big right-handed pitcher, physical. I got to say, you know, physical specimen. He's about 6'6", six, six, about 200 pounds. That's a big kid. I believe he's 17 years old. That's a big kid. Uh, Angels got Sandy Charlie, very similar last year. Not sure on the velocity, but he has a he's an athletic delivery, very clean, looks repetitive, and for these international guys, that's a starting key to throwing strikes, which a lot of these guys just don't do. That's a big thing is their command just never lets them to really leave the Dominican. Now, that's just based on video. It is in-game video. But that's about all I can give. And like you said, you know, you can only get X amount of information when it comes to video. Exactly. You know, it's it's so difficult. I mean, it, this is kind of why I wanted to get you on because myself, it's so hard for me just to talk about this because it's, it, it's, it's almost like the draft. You know, you don't know how some guys are going to really grow. I mean, even looking back at the guys Angel signed last year, whether it was Vera, Placencia, any of those guys – it's so difficult to even see what those guys are going to even produce into. So we mentioned before a couple guys that didn't sign with the Angels, and that was Willie Faunas Jr. and Kirsten Pavon. Pavon has signed with the Rangers since then. What, I mean, is that just something we should be worried about, or is that, you know, the change in personnel, you know, they saw something different than what Billy Epler and his guys saw? Yeah, I when it comes to this, and, and this does occur, um, usually not this late in the process, but when you have a new general manager come in in October, November, uh, 
uh, these things do occur. It's just that usually the signing period is July 2nd, so these players are already in the organization, things like this. Willie Fonis Jr., athletic kid, has a chance to maybe play all three outfield positions, maybe has a chance to stay in center field. A little bit of a below-average hitter with below-average power, but could develop into more. Um, was expected to sign for, I believe, $1.2 million. It doesn't. I don't know where he's going to end up, uh, as it seems. Uh, and though, like I said, a lot of this uh, found out through Ben Badler of Baseball America, um, Kylie McDaniel of ESPN as well. Peterson Pavone, small guy, had the, uh, had the nickname Altuvito, little Jose Altuve, not expected to produce the way that Jose Altuve did, nowhere close, no one can ever project that. Um, even a guy like Nick Madrigal, who's one of the top prospects in baseball, not expected to be a Jose Altuve. I mean, who, who in the world could ever be Jose Altuve, right? <laughs> but uh, Peterson Pavone, small guy, 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, some bat-to-ball skills, a little bit of that, you know, has a little bit of physicality, a high-energy kid in the infield, likely going to move to second because of size. But, yeah, these things do occur, and it is something where the Angels either do have something in their mind as to what they're going to do with this money. I don't know what that would be. Uh, that may not even be the case. Or the Angels, uh, you know, the players wanted to move to a different organization where they had trust in Billy Epler, whatever it is. Because you figure these, uh, these moves that the Angels made, these last seven moves, the majority of these are Billy Epler's last transactions as James was general manager, even though he's not the man in place. So, you know, whether Perry Manassian and his group moved on from these players or these players moved on from Perry Manassian and the Angels, that's something we'll find out in the future. Yeah, and so I want to go back just a hair. You mentioned the extra little bit of money that they have to spend. Do you think where, – where do you think they may go with something like this? You know, I, I put out an article, and it was pure speculation. I want to make sure that's very clear. This is not a report. This is not – I'm, think it's I'm throwing you under the, I'm throwing you under the bus here. <laughs> no, I see the smile because I'm not one that speculates, but I did put out a speculation. There is a big market international free agent, and his name is Oscar Colas. He's known as the Cuban Shohei Otani. Um, likely, if he's on the mound, he's going to be a reliever. It's a it's a power relief profile. Throws in the mid nineties with a power breaking ball. That's about it for him, though. But the offensive profile is very large. Has a chance to play all three opposition and may be versatile enough to play in the infield a little bit. But it's going to be an above average hitter with plus power potential. This guy mashes when he makes contact. Really a good guy to make line drive contact. But, yeah, I mean, this guy is going to have a showcase here in January. All 30 teams are going to attend it. This is definitely a premier international prospect who has a track record in Japan and Cuba um, in some of their top leagues, the Japanese minor leagues, as well as the Cuban National Series, which is the top uh, series in Cuba. Um, but, you know, right? The, the reason being that I'm thinking of this is that we don't know if the Angels have $2 million or if they have $2.8 million. If they have uh, $1 million, we don't know what they're – bonus pool is, but could they be in the play for a guy like Oscar Polas? Yes. The problem is they're a 1-in-30 chance because there's 30 major league teams that are going to make an attempt. Um, it's whether or not who has the money, who's going to make the right pitch. Um, but this is a guy that, you know, this would be a guy that would jump easily into any organization's top 10 prospects. Maybe not a top 100 prospect per se, but definitely a guy that has major league potential uh, as a hitter and possibly as a reliever. Yeah, I'd say, you know, if, if Billy Epler was around, it would make a lot of sense that, you know, two-way, super athletic. But I, at the moment, we just don't know what 
Perry Manassian and his guys are really going to be into. So I, I, it's, it's still a big question mark. But I'll say this. If it happens, you heard it here first. I mean, you got you, you have to give Taylor Blake Ward the credit. I mean, that's, that's, that is what it no. is. No, no. <laughs> the credit for being an idiot, sir. <laughs> No, not an idiot. Just, uh, just you gotta, you gotta speculate sometimes. I was on the same train with Joey Otani. I was like, it makes way too much sense. And you know, the fact that the Angels dropped a couple guys that might have been a lot of money, you know, it makes it makes sense that they might be going after somebody like this. So I, I don't know. It's like I said, the international process is weird. It's tricky. We just don't quite know. So as far as the Angels go right now, would you consider this a, like the seven players they signed a failure, or is it just way too early to tell? Oh, asking the wrong guy. Uh, if I'm being told, you know, it's um, the international process. This starts, like I said, two years ago. Um, so the fact that they got someone that they felt was, you know, worth $2 million on the open market, um, you know, the, the guys that they've given $2 million to over the last few years are, you know, Deshaun Knowles, Trent DeVoe, uh, Alexander Ramirez, Errol Vera, um, you know, pretty high-end prospects on the international front that still have to develop. So this is something that we're not going to know for about five to seven years. Um, so, yeah, you know, asking the wrong guy, hate to say that, but just the way that it kind of is. No, yeah, like you said, I mean, this whole thing has just kind of been like, well, you know, it could be, it could not be. It's it's just such a difficult thing, just like the draft, you know, or anything with young, you know, amateur players. It's so difficult to really see what they're going to do in the future. So keep, keep in mind, you know, when you go down to Venezuela, to Dominican, um, Panama, the Yankees, you know, it, worldwide, you know, you go to Europe, you see people with Yankees hats and you see people with Dodgers hats because they are major market teams. Same way that in the United States, we see Manchester United jerseys and Real Madrid and things like this. You know, there's a reason why the Yankees and the Dodgers do get the top picks is because that's the most popular team is because they see guys that have had success. You know, Gary Sanchez, um, Pedro Martinez, when he signed with the Dodgers, the Red Sox. You know, the Red Sox end up with a lot of international players. And then it's basically representation. You know, it's, um, you know, hey, I had a cousin or I had someone from my town, maybe Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, you know, had a guy that went to, I don't know, the White Sox, right? Who knows? You know, just using them as an example, but – you know, hey, because this guy that I grew up watching um, signed with the White Sox when he was 16 and had success with the White Sox for three years or whatever, that's who I want to go with. So there is beneficiary to, or it's beneficial for a team to sign a player from a certain location years in advance. And, and we've seen some troubles with this, uh, you know, family members getting a little bit of a bonuses because, you know, signing a player's brother for X amount of uh, money years before because of these things and then items like this, but there is, it's, it's an open market in a sense, but it's really not an open market. You know, there is all kinds of political games to be played by baseball and major league baseball teams in these uh, Latin countries. And, and, you know, even um, going to Korea, you know, you don't want to leave out, um, you know, you don't want to leave out Europe, even though Europe's not really a place that, you know, you get these players from or Australia or, um, you know, Asia, like um, Japan or, or the Koreas or Taiwans or anything, but realistically, the majority of these players come from Latin America, and there is a reason why they signed with play, you know, Team X, and it does have to do with relationships and past experience, such as 
hey, you know, this is the New York Yankees, the, the team that's won 27 World Series or whatever, however many it is, and the, the Los Angeles Dodgers who uh, have all kinds of, uh, you know, form, you know, Fernando um, Valenzuela and Pedro Martinez and Hideo Nomo. You know, I want to be a part of that legacy. Um, so that's where a lot of these things kind of come into play. So to say that a team is failing when they still got a player for $2 million, uh, you know, that's expected to kind of be a premier prospect from these countries, that's where I, I, you can't say that there's a failure until you've reached that part of, um, you've reached the, the end of their development. Yeah, you know, and that kind of bounces just right into my final question of, you know, why I had somebody ask me that almost this exact same question is why, you know, don't we see the Angels signing guys like, you know, getting guys like Jason Dominguez, who's going to be, looks like he's going to be an absolute stud for the Yankees, or Ronald Acuna, or why haven't the Angels been that good in the international market besides Shohei Otani, you know, and, and we've even talked about this, you know, the, the amount of guys that come and actually, you know, produce in the United States, I mean, not even at the major league level, in the United States, it just doesn't seem like it's been all that many in the recent years for the Angels, and, you know, that's probably one of the one of the main reasons it's, I don't want to call it a, really a popularity contest, but I mean, when you look at it, who would you rather go to, you know, the Yankees, the Dodgers, or the Angels? I mean, it's it's just kind of one of those things, and you you said it perfectly. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that, you know, that happens behind the scenes that we don't know about and that we don't need to know about and you know it's kind of the dark side of baseball that you know in the back of my head it makes me kind of dislike baseball and I you know dislike that type of thing and yeah it's just one of the it's just one of those weird things that I you know I don't like to even get into that type of thing and it doesn't even need to be said by any means but yeah, you know, that that's always been a question that has been asked to me, and it's a very hard one to answer because it's like you can go up and offer some of these guys $5 million, so that doesn't mean they're going to sign with the Angels. Like, I'm sure the Angels at some point might have talked to Jason Dominguez, but he's had his heart set on the Yankees since he was 12, 13, 14 years old. So. But it's like um, I'm, I'm actually Googling as we're sitting here, largest Dominican communities in the United States. And it's, number one is New York City, and then it goes to Massachusetts, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. And it's like, you know, do you want to go where there are a lot of your people? And, and you know, it's like, um, do you think of a lot of Cuban players signed with the Miami Marlins? And it's not that the Miami Marlins have this giant success rate. Um, it's just that, you know, Miami is a Latin city. And it has a, a lot of things that are attractive to these uh, players. And, those are things that come into play as well. And it's like, you know, if you're from Venezuela and you love Disney and Disneyland is something that you want to be a part of, you know, then go sign with the Angels. Who knows? You know, these are things. But it's like these things realistically do come into play. And when you have an open market such as the international front, these are things that will come into play. Um, also a part of this, and I'm not saying that the Angels are part of this, but there have been times where owners uh, have zero interest in going into the international market. They don't want to spend money. And there was a time you know, in the 90s when the Angels did not spend money on the international front. And that's when they had to go and sign uh, Francisco Rodriguez for, you know, I think it was $15,000 or, or whatever, or Ramon Ortiz signed for, I think, $10,000. And the Angels did have success. You know, you look at Ramon Ortiz, you look at, uh, I believe Juan Rivera could be included in that. Eric Ibar can be included in that. Um, Francisco Rodriguez. There are a lot of, you know, there, the Angels did have success during that 2000s run. 
um, where they were making the playoffs all the time that did have a lot of Latin success. It's just you have to get back to that. And there are teams that just do not want to spend on the international front. I'm not saying the Harding Moreno is a part of that, but there are teams, you know, um, trying to think off the top of my mind, but I can't throw anyone under the bus right now. Um, job searches for that reason. But, uh, you know, it's, there are teams that do this, and that is part of this as well. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying to think, like, in the back of my head is I've been going through Ben uh, Badler's pictures on Instagram, his story, and he's posted every signing almost. I'm trying to think of any teams this year that, like, I didn't see very much of. I mean, not that that really makes a huge difference or anything like that, but it felt like I was seeing a lot of the Texas Rangers, the Mets I thought I felt I saw a lot of, and, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those things where when you look at it, it's like, well, from an average fan, they signed seven guys, but at the same time, you know, we just don't know. So it's it's one of those things. And just final question before we we get going here, and I know it's late, but do you ever see the process changing? Do you think they ever go to a draft or anything like that? I think that's yes and no. I think that that's definitely something that's been talked about. I think it's something that wants people want in the works. But at the same time, I think when teams are looking at an open market and having success such as the way that they can, such as the Yankees and Dodgers and um, and Red Sox and, and Cardinals and, and teams like this, there are going to be owners that are like, no, we like this open market. This is great for us. It works this way. Um, what would have to happen is the money would have to be moved. Um, the international drafts would it, 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 There'd be a lot of semantics that wouldn't come into play, so it would take a lot. But I do believe that we have a CBA coming up at the end of this year. I don't know about this CBA, but possibly the next one, I believe, that international drafts could be a primary focus. Yeah, and it'll be very interesting to see down the road. And before we get going, I know you have a book coming out. Is that something that you maybe want to preview and talk about here real quick? Let's hold tight on that one. Okay. Um, I appreciate it. Nope, appreciate it very much. Uh, we'll have a book coming out in the near future, but uh, there are some, let's say, political things that have to be finalized before we touch on anything. But if uh, you do want to check out my work, I do have a new website, uh, homeplayview.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Taylor Blake Ward. Perfect. I appreciate it. Thank you, Taylor, so much for coming on and talking this very difficult conversation that we had to have because I know it's not easy, all this international fun stuff. So I appreciate you coming on. And, yeah, we'll have to get you on for the uh, draft when it, when that happens in June. Sounds like a plan, bud. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Have a good night. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.